0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you want to meet passionate product people in your area, why not pop over to the website onenightinproduct.com, sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss another episode again. And don't forget to share it with the other passionate product people friends. On tonight's episode we get serious with Scrum. We talk about some of the challenges from moving from project to product led how it's important to iterate towards success and not get too hung up if it's not all perfect on your first day. We also talk about whether it's game over for Scrum, some of the problems implementing a framework and some of the horrifying things that might replace it. We also go big on growth mindset and constantly learning to make sure you stick ahead of the crowd and don't get overtaken and left in the dust. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. so my guest tonight is David Pereira. David's a product leader, speaker, editor, and prolific writer whose motto is the faster we learn, the faster we succeed. David started out in software development to fund his music career before hanging up his guitar and dreams of stadium tours and moving to the equally glamorous world of product management. As a former butcher's assistant, David's now concentrating on trimming the fat from product thinking and getting to the good quality meat underneath. Hi David, how are you tonight? Hi, I'm doing pretty well, thanks for asking. No problem. So first things first, you're Head of Product Management for Virtual Identity. Who
1: are Virtual Identity and uh, what problem do they solve? Yeah, Virtual Identity is a digital agency and we solve different problems for different companies. Mainly, company has a problem, they bring it to us and we need to find a solution for that. Since from small companies, startups to big one like Siemens, Roche and so on.
0: Okay, so is it fair to say then that you're working as a kind of product development agency for other people? Do they, they come to you with a product idea or something that needs to be done, and you then
1: put the things in place to get that done? That's totally correct. Most of the case, we do like that. And sometimes we also have the challenge, the clients come with the solution and the budget for that, <laughs> and they just want us to implement. Then that is a different challenge, let's say like that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. But as head of product management, are you therefore looking after products that you or that your company makes to help support that or are you heading the team that works on the product solutions for the
1: clients directly the second option so mainly i help developing product management skills to ensure we build the right thing for our clients for their needs and scenarios but we don't have a real product in our case
0: and how does that work then yeah so you're the head of product management so you've got a team, I guess, of, of product managers, product owners, uh, other supporting staff. How big is that team and, and how is it laid out? Is it laid out by a client or how do, you, how
1: do you work that out? Yeah, that is a good question. I joined Virtual Identity a year ago within the mission of growing product management because until then, the agency was focused on project management. So mainly, <laughs> yeah, so that is a challenge. So far, the team is three people. We have open position. And we are growing, but the idea is the product managers will lead the team, uh, the project teams. And here I call this project team because we work with contracts. It can be one year, two years, within different situations, but it is a limited a uh, time. The scope is not limited, but the time frame we work with the client is based on the contract. And the product managers they can work in different clients I would say and sometimes even with two or three clients within different teams so it's a lot of fun I would say it's a dynamic (laughs) environment yeah it's it's costly and context switching that adds complexity for example now I also staff myself as a product lead in some of the projects and one of them is a website relaunch for rush.com and the other is building a search engine for a research institution of pre-competitive analysis. So you can see what happens.
0: Well, it sounds like a really interesting mix. And uh, as you say, quite a lot of context switching. So I imagine from time to time a little bit stressful, or would you not want to say that on tape?
1: <laughs> yeah, I can say it is. it is stressful, but uh, it's up to us how we organize our days. And from my experience, when I mix up, having like, for example, one interaction in the morning for one project and then right after another and then switching back, that's not effective. And what I try to do is I block one day to work on one client and another for the other. And then it works better. And then I can focus and not have like just a shallow work because that's not effective.
0: But you've touched on it yourself, the fact that when you came in, it was very much a different maybe non-product organization and that you were brought into to to bring in some of that product thinking but that isn't always the easiest message to land when you come into a company that doesn't really have those product muscles already built up so was that an interesting journey were they quite receptive or did you have to really push in certain areas to
1: to kind of get that thinking in yeah it is it's still a challenging journey i would say and when i arrived like uh, what i i always thought is It's not about bringing the perfect road because if we try to push like that, nothing's going to happen. I try to understand why was the way it was and meeting them where they are and then going one step ahead and one step, one step at a time. But what I noticed, the first paradigm I had to break is the craft product management was responsible for product owners and product owners were only in projects that we sold as agile in this case the clients pay for sprint and then we had a product owner and i said actually this is a misunderstanding product management is something needed in any product we work for and that was the first that i i had to to break first uh, dilemma and i break i could break that by working in a traditional project like the scope was closed but i said okay Scope is based on what we have to deliver, but doesn't mean that we can find better ways of doing that. And then, as a product manager, I could show the value of that, and now we are moving towards product management instead of project management. But it's a journey, and it requires a lot of conversations and also showing different perspectives and so on, sometimes tiring. but the company is receptive because the market is moving towards this. And if we stay in the traditional project management, then somebody else is going to do differently. Yeah, someone's going to come and eat your lunch. Exactly.
0: But back in Brazil, before you moved over to Europe to, to your current, well, your couple of roles that you've had in Germany now, you started up as a computer technician doing kind of infrastructure work, as far as I can tell, and kind of support and stuff like that. And then you moved into software development. And it was about seven years before you took your first product owner job at a company over there. What was it that got you into product management as a discipline? What what gave you that bug and, and got you interested in that?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty interesting question. I always enjoyed coding since I was 17. And I was always looking for jobs that I could do that. And uh, in one of the jobs, I was a developer. And like it was, the company is called Delphi, and we were like automating, let's say, like this process. Like we had a lot of uh, assembly lines and we wanted to make it easier and having something with software. But what I realized is the decisions were being made by someone who had little knowledge of what was happening for the end users. And as a developer, I wanted to understand what was the real problem because sometimes I cannot connect to this solution here I don't know why we need to implement that. And I asked the, let's say, project manager and said, well, we need to do that because my boss asked me to do that. said, then we need (laughs) to ask your boss, why did he ask you to do that? I said, I don't know. He is my boss and he asked, I'm going to do. said, okay, I'm going to ask the user if it makes sense for them. And I got quite bugged because the users were saying, oh my God, don't do that, please. You are going to just screw my life if you do this. (laughs) And that, uh, I said, Should I do what I asked for or should I do what is right? And uh, in this case, the company was big, but I decided to be bolder. And then I did what I thought to be right and developing a solution that is right for the users and could really increase efficiency and so on. And that worked, but I had a conflict with the project manager and I had a conflict with the other guy and so on. And then I was reflecting should I be the one who develop codes or should it be someone who can uh, define what is the right thing to develop? And then I, that was in my mind for a while. And I said, I'm really passionate about coding, but I feel powerless most of the times. So like, whenever I want something, I need to fight and fight back and so on. And sometimes people are just unwilling to accept something. I so said, I would like to go more to the other side and be closer to the users and understand the problems, and then we can talk about solutions.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting as well, the whole idea that you saw the pain that you could have caused and decided to kind of break out and make sure other people didn't see that in the future. But obviously, it's not a natural move for all developers to be able to go and do that. You need to have a certain, to quote Liam Neeson, you need to have a particular set of skills. Did you? have those skills already? Or did you have to develop some of the kind of customer interviewing skills, the soft skills, the
1: negotiation skills that you need to be successful in that kind of role? Yeah, that comes the funny thing. I most probably didn't have most of the skills. But I was always curious. And I talked to a lot of people. And how I got my first product owner job was something unimaginable. Because What happened, I I had this idea in my mind of moving towards product, but I had no idea how to make that happen. And I was in Brazil back then. I wanted to study English, but I didn't have enough money to go to England or to another place. So I decided to do an immersion English course around the town. And there was a week and a lot of people from Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, like big towns, uh, big places in, uh, in Brazil went there. And the last day, everyone had to present something. And I decided to present the solution we were working on. And what happened? One guy after the presentation told me, we should talk. And I got to know he was the CEO of Ability Trade Marketing. And that what happened? And then he said, the thing is the following. I like how you presented that. And I like how you connected the why is it important to the solution. And I need some more people with this. And I need some product people to work with me. And he looked at me. I will be honest with you. I have no idea how to develop that. I'm a finance guy, but we have to develop a lot of systems and so on. And these guys from IT, I think they are just bullshitting me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one way to put it, I guess. Yeah, so then uh, he gave me the chance. That's what happened. He gave me the chance, and then I learned the hard way most of the things. I failed multiple times, and uh, like user interviews and all of these, I had to, okay, so why is it not working? I said, why shouldn't I ask the users what they want? Because I was asking them, what do you want? <laughs> so I asked all the wrong questions, and I built many times wrong things, but then I learned and then I started developing myself. I started searching for the knowledge and I was looking, what makes a good product owner? What is that? And then I bought a bunch of books, like a, a drive from Daniel Pink and a, a lot of other books to shape my mindset. And I said, aha, I think now I got a picture.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting in the kind of school of hard knocks approach, which I personally came up through as well. So I always like to hear that kind of story where you kind of just make it up as you go along and learn and fail and succeed and it's a really interesting way to do it and certainly something that sounds a lot more exciting than going to do a course. But a lot of your job titles have been very specifically product owner over the years as opposed to say product manager. Now a lot of people these days are pushing against that not because products shouldn't have owners but because There seems to be like a trend of companies hiring a role called product owner just effectively to manage backlogs in a feature factory or just handling the very tactical stuff. And there's obviously also the specter of safe and the safe product owner as well. Have you found in your roles that you've been very much focused, yeah, before you got into your head of product role, very much focused on tactical issues as a product owner, or have you had the scope to practice quote unquote proper product management?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. At the beginning, I was like, let's say, the order taker product owner. I was focused on tactics, mainly taking care of the backlog, but managing stakeholders and ensuring that we would deliver something. But that bugged me quite a lot. So (laughs) that doesn't sound correct. And, And then I started challenging and then we could shift towards Product management. Not that I did, uh, not that I knew back then, but there was no one doing the product management. There were many different departments who were interested in the product as well, and they wanted something in the product. But then, how we prioritize was put everyone in the room, and then we agree on <laughs> something, and we develop. But it was missing really why, what we want to achieve, and I started like that then start moving more like to strategic understanding what is the right thing to do and then testing. And after we do something, prove if we reach the expected outcome, not only the output, because at the beginning, I was really focused on the output, deliver a feature and forget about it. Go to the next and next and next and next. But uh, it was like, first, it annoyed me. There was not a mentor on that. And once I started moving to the startup road although I had the title of a product owner I was always in contact with end users from, and I had responsibilities from end to end so the title was product owner but I was doing the job of a product lead so to say I because I don't like the the name product manager I think it's more like a lead
0: Yeah I think the the naming is very controversial across the board but I don't really have an issue with Product owners as a concept, I think that it just does seem to get a bit, I guess, perverted these days by a lot of people that are using it in ways that it just doesn't actually, they don't own anything, right? At best, they own the backlog.
1: Yeah, correct. I think the name product owner should disappear. Uh, I I still (laughs) keep that on LinkedIn because that's how I was called. But I I know the, the industry would call what I was back then as a product manager, but sometimes I think, no, I, I like just the challenging the misconceptions and say, yeah, hey, uh, the do- job title just doesn't matter. Is what do you do
0: there? You're completely right. The job titles don't matter. But I think the only reason that they do matter is so other people can naturally understand what you've done and like, what your role was and not query it, which obviously is a very future-focused way of looking at it in a sense because obviously the only reason you should care about that is if, for example, you're going to get another job in which case that becomes important. But yeah, when you're in the job, it should all be about what you're doing and the outcomes you're driving, as you say. You are also the editor of Serious Scrum on Medium, and you also publish a lot of articles yourself. So what made you get into that, both the writing and the editing? Was, was that always a passion of yours, or did that kind of come about as your career progressed and you started getting more interested in the topics?
1: Yeah, this, uh, there are two parts of this. So, when I was in Brazil, I was like giving lessons on the MBAs I studied because one of my professors invited me to replace him during a period of time. And I always felt so passionate about it. I got so energized after sharing like insights with the students and so on. And I felt I learned way more doing that than when I was studying alone. And when I moved to Germany, I was not doing that anymore, and I couldn't do that. And I focused on like getting integrated here in the new job, in the new country, and everything else. Then after some point in time, I felt, hmm, something is missing. The job is not enough. I, I was really passionate about this. Then the first part I did was to create a course, like how to be a product owner. But why did I create a course? I created a course because I thought, People in the NBA they really liked what I had to share. What if I could share what is important to know once you want to become a product owner? Then I recorded a course in Portuguese, like an MVP. Very simple one, three and a half hours. And I put live on Udemy, very simple one. And for my surprise, the course reached now 1,800 people. And when I recorded that, I said, If this course reached a hundred people, I would say the MVP rocked. So, Mm -hmm. that that was my, my measure. And then, by the end of 2019, I thought, what if I could start sharing some articles as well? Then I started writing in Portuguese. But, once a week, sometimes every second week. And people were enjoying But people from Brazil or Portugal because it was written still in Portuguese. But then, I thought, Hmm. maybe I could start in English targeting a bigger audience and I could help more people because my ideas of the article was if I could share what I learned from my failures and people could connect to that, maybe I could help someone avoiding the pain I had or at least generating some insights. And last year was, you know, sometimes you need to face reality as hard as it is and you got to deal with that. And what happened was, well, it happened with many people, but COVID-19, my wife went to Russia because she is Russian. And she was waiting for the visa processing and so on. And then borders were closed. We had no idea when she would come back to Munich. And there I was alone at home, not allowed to go anywhere. So I thought, oh my God, what I'm going to do now? <laughs> I have no idea when my wife is going to come back. I cannot meet with my friends. I cannot do anything. But still, I have a lot of time. So I either go into depression, because that could be uh, an outcome, or I use this time wisely. Or both. Yeah. Then I started writing, writing, writing. But you know, I had no idea how Medium worked. I was just writing and posting, writing and posting. And then someone wrote to me, I like your content. You should publish with us. That was UX Collective. And I started publishing with them, and they helped me improve my writing. And then lately was Serious Scrum. And I really got into Serious Scrum because we have a review process and we exchange with each other. We, I learned when I write articles because people review my content, they share different perspectives. I feel like I'm exchanging with a lot of people all over the world. And this is fascinating. It generates a lot of insight. And I do the same. I also review articles from other people. And then I said, wow, I'm going to keep doing that. And here I am. Now I've published (laughs) 110 articles since I started. Wow, that's a lot of words. But you've recently
0: said, rather boldly for someone who edits a publication called Serious Scrum, that it's game over for Scrum. Now, obviously, you don't need to look too far these days online to find lots of people moaning about Scrum on one forum or another. But what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the game being over for Scrum? What
1: I mean by that is, Scrum is a framework, and the framework can only succeed if people want to use it. And what is happening is, developers, they're unwilling to work with Scrum. They say, I don't want to work with this anymore. I don't want to be locked in a feature factory. A scrum masters, many times, they don't have any space on the Scrum team. And the Scrum master, as it's written in the Scrum guide, well, I think... This person lives in the fantasy world. I haven't met with anyone. <laughs> and then it comes a product owner that we were talking here. Some people perceive the title product owner as embarrassing. And they say, no, don't call me as a product owner. I don't want to do this. I do much more than that. Uh, people are unwilling. And then how can a framework survive if professionals who could make that a success are unwilling to use it? And also then when you go to the management, they treat Scrum as a process. And Scrum is just a way of delivering on their want. That's not going to happen. That's not going to deliver exactly the outcome they expect. And Scrum becomes just something that doesn't work and people start despising. Then I wonder, the game is over. Why would people continue using that? Yeah, but
0: people are still using it. But I guess the problem that, underpins a lot of what you just said is that without wishing to sound like a scrum fundamentalist that a lot of these people are putting judgments against scrum because they're not doing scrum quote unquote properly now obviously there's a further argument well if the majority of people are not doing it properly then is that the scrum foundation's problem to solve versus it being everyone else's fault but so many of the criticisms i do see of scrum seem to basically involve a company with a really heavy micromanaging feature factory mindset that take probably an existing Gantt chart, draw two weak lines on it, and call the project manager a scrum master, and off they go. Now, that's probably never going to succeed, or not as well as anyone thinks. So do you think it's more like scrum isn't working because people aren't following the principles properly or do you think there's actually a fundamental problem with scrum i
1: think scrum doesn't work because people don't know how to make that work it's exactly as you mentioned scrum is focused on the framework but people to start using framework first they should have the agile mindset for that because scrum is like it takes as a given People will know how to use this. And then what happens is it becomes a feature factor and then it doesn't succeed. But when I look at what Scrum suggests, the product owner, for example, the product owner to succeed needs to be empowered by everyone. But that's quite rare the case. The product owner cannot do what the Scrum suggests. Generally, there are a lot of people who will decide the strategic goal, where to go, and sometimes a product owner is just executing on the wishes of somebody else. What I think is Scrum is missing the point It's like Scrum became a factory and now it is focused on the certificates and so on. Because the name product owner, for example, is not connecting to industry anymore. Still, Scrum hasn't changed that. There was a New version of Scrum Guide 2020 became a little more compact, but the roles remain the same and so on. So it seems like Scrum is not really striving to adapt to to the market. Like, How can we coach organizations to deliver products that matter? Scrum's not answering this question. And I think this is one of the biggest problems, actually, that happens in companies.
0: Yeah, you spoke before this call about how there's very little actual product thinking that you see in Scrum, for example, and that it's very much being used, as you just said, for delivering stuff. And obviously there's one argument that that shouldn't be a problem because obviously product managers can do all their product management stuff and then it's not that Scrum itself should be getting involved in, say, discovery specifically and stuff like that. But then on the other hand, I guess your argument is that it should be more explicit about bringing the product management or the uh, let's call it product management, the product management thinking. And well, is it more like you can't succeed with scrum unless you have a proper agile mindset and to have a proper agile mindset, you've probably got some good chances that you're going to be, for example, a quick iterative team that can work on stuff and deliver value incrementally.
1: Is it? purely down to the mindset, do you think? I think the mindset is the beginning. And if you don't have that, nothing else is going to work. Because if you don't have the, let's say like this, if we are not open for learning, then Scrum or any other framework is not going to work because the principle is being empirical. So this is the core of Scrum. And that means we don't know everything. And the more we walk, the more we know and we generate learn then we can generate value but companies they are afraid of failing and if they do something that doesn't work they treat that as a failure and they search for someone to blame and then it starts a problem so the framework becomes just a way of organizing the work and that's where it's not going to work yeah and then you
0: also get the other fear of failure or maybe even fear of agile transformation which leads to horrific situations for example where companies may try to implement a scaling framework so maybe they implement safe or less or prints too agile and all these other frankly horrible looking scaling frameworks with big complicated charts and it doesn't take too long to look at those charts and say yeah no this is almost entirely designed to maintain top-down control and remove as much of the agility as they can before they before they can't call it Agile anymore. Do you think that's a big problem as well, that companies are failing to adapt or they're pretending to adapt and that therefore people are, again, being forced into these feature factories and it's just called Agile on on the outside?
1: Yeah, I think this is a big problem and I think this is exactly where Scrum missed the point because Scrum tries to be a framework that is generic and it works for everything. It's not only for digital product development. It could work for everything. But as we know, Scrum is mainly used for digital product management. Why not having something for this and avoid the problems that happen? Because companies want to remain in control. And once they see a framework that gives them this security, they would go for that. And which one is this? Safe. Because if you look at safe, well, there are boxes for everything. (laughs) So you have the product manager the one who decides what is the right thing to do, the product owner, the one who decides how to do the right thing. And then everyone has a box to go there. Companies who are afraid of Agile will look, that's it, that's what we're going to do. We will check an item here on our checklist and say, we are Agile, we use SAFE. But then they're just fooling themselves because SAFE is an undercover waterfall agent.
0: (laughs) Very well put as well. You're also passionate about learning, and you've mentioned that yourself. Obviously, you've had to go on a learning journey back when you started out in product management circles because you needed to actually build up those product muscles. But you also mentioned it a few times how, for example, writing and editing on Medium has been a real learning journey for you as well. And that's something that I've heard from many people and I've found myself is that there's nothing like actually having to write something down and research it to some extent to really bed in that learning and and to open up your mind to different thoughts and really clarify your thinking. But is it just that that you're doing these days, or have you got any other learning techniques or courses or other avenues that you're investigating to keep yourself on the sharp end?
1: Yeah, uh, not only this, I'm a guy who loves being part of webinars and also connecting to more people and having exchange. So this is what I do to keep networking and seeing what is being practiced outside of my circle. I try to connect to people in different scenarios, try to learn from different perspectives. And another thing I like doing, and uh, this is something I started actually late in life, is reading books. When I was a teenager, I hated books. I didn't want (laughs) to read anything at all. But then I started reading some things and I like, for example, Marty Kagan, Melissa Perry, when it comes to product management, also Jeff Patton. And these help me like, because there are stories there and stories tells a lot. And what I like here about books is I don't take a book as this is how it is. It's the truth and you have to do that. What I like doing is I take three different books and then I read them, create a perspective and then I do that. And lately, what I have been enjoying about books is also the audiobooks. And generally I like reading, not reading actually, but listening when it's from the author directly. And Marty Kagan has that from Empowered and Inspired. It's pretty easy to follow and generate a lot of insights. And after I read the books, what I do, I create a mind map with the insights from that, what I learned and so on. And I try to share that with some more people and see what they think also, and that's how I develop myself and product management. Because what I think is th- that is my fear actually. I fear if I don't do that, I will soon become outdated, and that ooh, that drives me mad. I cannot get <laughs> to this point.
0: Yeah, you said that before as well, and I think it's a really interesting point that you want to keep ahead of the, I don't know, ahead of the crowd or something. I guess is always interesting to learn new things and it's really part of a solid growth mindset to try and stay in front of thinking and to make sure that you're not just falling into default patterns or whatever it is that you've done before and getting overtaken by other people but what's one thing then that you've learned recently either specifically around product management or scrum or just in general something that you felt has been really revolutionary or something that's really helped you to to keep,
1: again, sharp and current? I would give two things here. I would say one that's from Carl Newport is deep work. And the world now is full of distractions. It's a shallow world. Like, companies prioritize shallow work. What do I mean by shallow? You reply to your emails as fast as you can. (laughs) You reply to the message. You keep everything updated. Someone comment on a ticket on Jira, and then you reply. So... You are bombarded with distractions all the time, but that impedes you from doing deep work. And like as a product owner, product manager, whatever the title is, you need to focus. And focus means giving time to yourself to achieve something. Looking at a concept, thinking if it makes sense, navigating to the numbers, trying to understand. But if you do that, allowing distractions, you will not reach your potential. You will actually. You struggle to concentrate and whenever you feel a little bit bored, you just go to something and reply to an email and so on. So what I learned from this is, in a world where shallowness is really reward, you need to go against that and you need to start prioritizing deep work and if you don't sit on the driving seat, someone else is going to drive for you and then you become just a like a person in the crowd and you go as the crowd. And I noticed I was doing that sometimes. I was just starting my day, opening my emails. And then from there I would take and had the meetings scheduled, go to the meetings and so on. And I said, what am I doing? Actually, this is wrong. And it was missing the product. Uh, I would say it was missing focus. And this is often ignored and it's not easy, but I think it's needed.
0: No, absolutely. I think, this is obviously one of the things, I mean, I'm reading a book at the moment called Radical Focus uh, as well, about OKRs and stuff like that. And the the idea that, well, it's not uncommon to hear the term peanut buttering or magical thinking and the fact that people feel that they can do everything. So yeah, I, I think that having that focus and not switching context all the time is is really important and really helps you to dig into things. Although obviously that does collide slightly with what you were saying earlier about the day-to-day work in your current role where you're obviously context switching all the time so hopefully you're managing to tread that path kind of nicely
1: yeah correctly
0: obviously you do a lot of thinking and writing and a lot of education around product management and scrum and that then begs the question that if you could give one piece of advice for a new product owner or product manager or just someone working in product someone maybe just trying to get started out what advice would you give them as they were making their way into the world of product management.
1: Okay, that is a good one. Yeah, the advice I would give is whatever you are doing, it is for the users. And if it's not natural for the users, it's not going to work. So you need to really empathize with users, and then you can create meaningful solutions. And it's easy to think it is rational, but rational, it's not natural, and that will not connect to users and we build suboptimal solutions. And what I mean by that is many times we strive to build more and more features and then it becomes a cluttered product and it doesn't lead anywhere but to confusion. And product owners and product managers should be the master of removing confusion. So start by understanding what are the pains of the end users and build something that is natural for them and ensure you don't confuse them to get to the position.
0: There you go. That's uh, a bit too long for a sticker, but I'm sure we'll work it out. And where can people catch up with you after this if they want to talk more about Scrum or product management, product ownership, or any of the stuff that they've heard about today?
1: If they want to catch up, just add me on LinkedIn. you find me under David Pereira. And from there, you see my posts on Twitter. Also, on Medium, it's very easy. Everything is David A.V. Pereira. And then, here we go, you find me on all these places, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Medium.
0: Sounds good. I'll make sure that's LinkedIn and uh, hopefully get some interesting conversations going. Well, that's been a really interesting chat, so thanks for taking me through some of your career and some of your thoughts around product management and Scrum. Hopefully, we can stay in touch, but as for now, again, thanks for taking the time.
1: Thank you for inviting It was a pleasure and really interesting to exchange with you.
0: As ever, thanks for listening. I hope you found the conversation inspiring and insightful. If you did, I can only encourage you to pop over to the website, onenightinproduct.com, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. Check out some of my other fantastic episodes with thought leaders and practitioners from the world of product management. And again, sharing is caring, so please share and care. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.